McShane Bible Study, day 183, and we are passing the halfway point of the Bible study. And we're starting in Joshua 4, and you know, it's, it, they're telling us what's going on. So Joshua is leading the people through the Jordan. He tells the Levites to carry the uh, ark, and the Lord's God stops the water so that it's dry ground they're crossing on. He has a leader from each tribe, so 12 men, uh, pick up big rocks to come and make a shrine on the other side because he's trying to connect the people with the promise of God. So not every person in the future would see this incredible miracle of what God is doing. And he wants them to have a memorial for it. Today we have the scripture that we can all read to remind us of these things. And we can see the picture of God is taking the people out of the wilderness into the promised land. Right? So this is a first fruit company coming into the promises of God. But his purpose was never just to bring the people in and then have them be a worldly people. But his purpose was to continue to grow in his ways, in his culture. And so he's setting up things to help them remember how great he is, how, how loving he is, so that those who didn't see it can still understand it. Uh, and so that, that, you know, that's what happened, and now they're in the promised land. We just read Psalms 129 to 131, and I'm going to comment on the last two of those. 130 says... These are all songs of ascent. If you, O Lord, this is verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So in other words, no one is good, not even one, as Jesus said, right? Everyone's a sinner, as we know. And it's point right here, in the flesh. We don't want to think of ourselves as sinners. But it's true. Well, what I'm saying is... God is transforming us. So if we go around, a mistake that a lot of people make is to have a sin a sin mentality. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's a curse to put on yourself, even though that's very common. That's not godly way of thinking. We were sinners. God is transforming us into his right way. And I think an important way to remember that is what is sin? It's missing the mark. Some of the aspects of sin are the things that we think about doing. Maybe if we don't do the right thing here or there, that's an aspect of sin. But sin itself is missing the mark of God, not walking in his ways. And so what we should, the way we should live is to say, Lord, I, I give you my life and whichever way you lead me, I will go that way. And then we look to orient our life in that direction and walk that out, constantly looking for him to correct us and teach us and grow us, right? Um, And his plan is to make us perfect. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. Is Jesus telling us something that's impossible? No. No. But the, the sin consciousness says, well, that's ridiculous, that's impossible, that's for afterlife. I, I, I certainly don't claim it, and, and I don't know that I will ever be able to claim it, because 
I don't know. It seems like a bad position <laughs> to be in, maybe. But Jesus said that's what we are called to. And when Paul would explain things, he would say, look, not that I've attained all this, but this is the life God is calling me into, right? This is the life God is calling you into. And so branding ourselves as sinners locks us away in a world controlled by our enemy. Mm-hmm. Jesus has given us the key to come out of that way into his life. You see that? So none of us without Jesus can stand before God. All of us redeemed by the blood of Jesus can stand before God. So let's read it again. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So these go hand in hand. We should fear the Lord and the Lord alone, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means to be in awe of him, to realize he is ruler, he is creator, he is judge. And so we walk in his ways. And as we do this, we're filled with hope. The next verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. So, because we know he is a good God. He is not some terrible God that's going to stamp us down on his foot. He is a God that made a way for us to come into his family and wants to bring us in all the goodness that entails being a son of God, right? And so then the psalmist turns to all all the people of God and says, 7 and 8, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel for all his iniquities. So he says, it's important that we hope, that we believe, that we seek. Because if we don't, we do not achieve. Right? Uh-huh. We cannot have these things if we do not believe in them, hope in them, and seek them. It's impossible because we have not, we, we are, our ruler is the enemy, the ruler of this world. If we do not hope, believe, and seek, faith is, is so important. And so it must be there. And so that's this is a cool little psalm here. Uh, and then 131, David kind of goes along with it. Super short. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So he said, I'm not going beyond myself. I'm, I'm living where you've put me. Two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So he's saying the soul, it's like a baby crying to him. Desperately wanting, you know, baby cries when it wants milk from its mother, right? And it's a baby's cry, man. It's, it's not fun to hear. You want to give the baby what he wants, you know? It's your baby and you want to help him. Um, He says, my soul cries out to me like this, but I have weaned it. I do not listen to my soul. My soul needs to listen to me. You see that? Mm -hmm. I follow the Lord and and the spirit of the Lord directs me and my soul should follow that spirit, not the other way around. Fallen man has a body that controls the soul, which controls the spirit, Uh, a son of God has a spirit that's intertwined, intermingled, unified with God, 
controlling his soul, which controls his body. You see the difference? Mm-hmm. So, so David says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And moving on to Isaiah 64, which starts out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. So, <clears throat> he's caught, he, this part of the Isaiah is very prophetic. We just talked about the fact that um, he's, he's talking later on that Jerusalem is a desolation, but in Isaiah's life, that had not happened yet. Um, and, did, you know, did, it wouldn't happen until, uh, you know, I'm not sure how long later, 50 years after he died or 100 years after he died. I'm not real sure. Um, but he's, he's calling out that God come and quake everything at your presence. Kind of like when God showed up on Sinai. And we see this continually throughout multiple end time prophecies. Haggai of uh, Hebrews of Revelation that this is, <laughs> these things will happen, right? And he says, we're, we're longing for you because there's so much trouble. Even though your coming shakes this very core of this world, that is what we need. Verse 5 says, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways, behold. So he's saying, you know, first he's remembering all the awesome things God did for the people. And he says, for those who live for you, you work righteousness and blessing. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? So he's, he's recognizing they've gone astray. Six, we have all become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. Verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We all we are all the work of your hands. So, first he's saying, we've turned away from you, and then you hid your face from us. But, Lord, we're now recognizing you are our God. We are simply clay. Jeremiah gives the same picture, and, um, you know, it's a, a New Testament references this as well, that we are simply clay, that God is the potter, right? Is it Paul that says, you, who, who are you to demand <laughs> that you be this kind of dish or that kind of dish? The potter decides what you're going to be. You're the clay, right? That, that needs to be our heart. God, I give up whatever my rights are in this world. I give up my dreams and fantasies or my plans. And I say yes and amen to you and your plans. Doesn't mean we don't make any plans, but as James teaches, we don't have these long plans assuming everything's going to go the way we plan out. We work our plan always looking for God to redirect us. God, am I, am I on course? Am I off course? Uh, 10. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. So again, this would happen to Jerusalem. But this is also a picture of the intense church, which is very clear in Revelation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there would be a desolation 
But then as we're going to see in the next two chapters, we see God redeeming and the, the chapter, this chapter ends. Will you restrain yourself of these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? So this chapter just kind of ends with crying out to God for what are you going to do? And in the end of Isaiah, will answer that question for us. Ending in Matthew 12. And once again, I forgot to switch to the passion so that this, <laughs> this may not work. Uh, What's interesting, though, this story, the the last uh, episode of The Chosen, talked about these first two stories, but you can see they clearly decided. Uh, it wasn't a mistake. I mean, I'm sure they're reading the scripture many times before they're, they're writing out their script, right? But they clearly did this in the wrong order, right? So it's just something to always keep in mind. When we're watching art, it it's... That's not the word of God we're seeing on the screen. <laughs> it has elements of it. So it's it's wonderful. I love it. But they clearly changed the order of these two things. The uh, eating eating the grain from the field and healing the withered hand um, in order to tell the story. It worked best for their plot of the way they're doing the show. Um, and so Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. So what he's saying here. This is important. I think I was kind of talking about this earlier. It's the life that's more important than the things. We're talking about sin versus sins. A life of missing the mark versus particular ways in which we might not be perfectly making the mark. Jesus is teaching the same principle here, but he's teaching it the opposite way. Instead of the negative, he's showing about the positive, the life. And they're saying... Hey, God said you're not supposed to reap grain on the Sabbath. And here you are reaping grain on the Sabbath. And he says, you don't understand. You're focusing on the little things. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am leading these into my way. Does that mean that their idea that, that what God set up through Moses didn't matter? No. But he's saying, I'm, I'm teaching a life that is above these things. And so as we live this life, do the little sins fall away one by one? Hopefully a lot, you know, ideally lots of them. But the reality is God exposes different things over time. We're like, oh, I need to put away those old garments and put on new garments. I need to put away those old ways and be more righteous, be more holy. But those are simply little details in the life. He's speaking about a new life for us to enter into. And so then I'm just skipping down to 25 says, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand because they said he's casting out the people were saying, is this the son of David? And the Pharisees were saying, no, he's casting out demons by demons. It's only by Beelzebub, right? And he says, you don't understand. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Well, is is the current church system a picture of this reality? No, it's it's extremely fractured. What he is saying is, and other, many other scriptures point to this, is there will be a kingdom of complete unity. How can you have a kingdom of complete unity? It is only when all the people in the kingdom, particularly the leadership, because they're helping the newer people come along, 
are completely dying to themselves, submitting their lives to God and saying, I'm the clay, you're the potter. And then helping others to do the same. When we get puffed up in pride in our own ways and our own plans, and we declare ourselves a leader, you can do that. It's not actually all that hard to get a following in this world. And you get a bunch of people following you because you're charismatic and you've got some exciting ideas and it tickles their flesh. But that's all about you building your own kingdom. Jesus is all about, what did he do? Even though he's the greatest, right? He, he was the, the one with no sin. He submitted his life completely to the Father. And he is the one we pattern ourselves after. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's an important principle. You can't have it halfway. You can't have half Jesus. You're either with him, living this life, or you're against him. That's a strong word. 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So he's saying, because they they were asking him, what were they asking him? They were talking about like demons and casting out demons. So who's casting out the demons actually? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, right? Jesus is simply the one carrying that spirit. And so he says, against me, you can say whatever you want, because I'm, I, I'm submitting my life and I don't care. I know I'm going to have a hard time by those of you who follow the enemy. And so, so be it. So you hurt me. So you say nasty things about me. I don't care. I forgive you. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're blaspheming the Father. And he is the one who is establishing things. He's the one working out his purposes. And there is tremendous judgment for that. Uh, there's, there's so many good parables. I'm skipping around. Um, and he gives the parable of Jonah. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Can Jesus be wrong? No. So was Jesus, did Jesus die on a Friday and be raised up on a Sunday? Is that three nights? Was he buried that night? Uh, Pop, no. Popular Christianity says that he died on a Friday and raised on a Sunday <clears> morning. <throat> mm-hmm. And, and they, can, they can argue, well, the way the Jews counted it back then, that's three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, but that's not what Jesus said. He said... The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So could Jesus have died on a Friday? No. Does the scripture ever say that Jesus died on a Friday? No. Does it say he rose on a Sunday? No. It does. Oh, wait. He definitely rose on a Sunday. The scripture says so. It does not say he died on a Friday. Okay. It, Jesus himself says he was in the earth three days and three nights. He died on a Wednesday at the very end of the day, which as the sun goes down... The, the new day begins. We call it Thursday, but we we call it Wednesday night, but they called it Thursday. So it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then when the sun went down Saturday, he rose. He wasn't seen until Mary saw him early the next morning before the sun came up. But three days, three nights, that fits every single scripture. If you don't understand that, you have to assume some of the scripture is wrong. Including this, but there's also other parts. 
Because one gospel will say this happened before the Sabbath. One gospel will say this happened after the Sabbath. And people say, oh, they just got it wrong. No, there were two Sabbaths. One was the high holy day. One was the regular Sabbath. So I, I don't mean them already too long in that. But, you know, that's just the scripture. So when we're confronted with something like that, we have to say, whoa, which is more important to me? My religion, my tradition, or the word of God? And I'm not saying it's super important which day we celebrate. I am saying that principle is super important. Which is more important to me? My religion or the truth? That cuts deep. Okay, and then you asked about this last part. For whoever does the will... So, I'll read the whole thing. 46 to the end. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It means he knows and is living the true spiritual life. He is died to his physical life. So he says, my mother and brothers, because we, we know from other gospels, they came to chastise him, right? They came to tell him you're not doing the right thing. And he says, they don't know. They did not, and they were not following him. What did he say earlier in this chapter? If you're not following me, you're against me, right? They were against him at this time. That doesn't mean he didn't love them in the flesh. And James and Jude would later, after he rose from the dead, he would he would show up to James and they would come to be important pillars in the church. They wrote two of the epistles in the Bible, right? But at that time, they thought, Oh, you crazy brother, you're not doing the right thing. We need to tell you how to correct yourself. And he says, no, my family are those who live this way, this kingdom life that I'm introducing. Those are my true family. So my true family are those who live in fellowship in this way. My does that again he loved his mother he took on his like one of his last words to john were take care of my mother right of course he loves them but he knows he's on an important mission to establish a spiritual reality and a spiritual family and he says these who go according to this way are part of my family anyone whether they're blood relation or not who doesn't go this way is not part of my real family does that make sense mm-hmm. of course we love real family and the way God intends it, because family is super important to God, God intends it that these things are taught in physical families. You're my son. I'm teaching you things because it's important. <laughs> you know, it's this is how life's supposed to do. That you do the same thing with your children, right? Um, but God is saying, look, I, it's about my family. And so if I put you together, like, uh, you know, Mr. Van, for instance, I'm having lunch with him today. He's our spiritual family, right? And so God says, this is important. And through my spiritual family, do I do a work? And of course, there's a larger family beyond that. But that's, you see how God's way is, is above our way. It's when we confront him with these things, it helps us to confront. Wait a minute. Do I really believe in this spiritual life? 
Or is it just something I like to say, but I go on with my life the way everyone else does? Right? Is it a religion or is it a life that I'm living? That That's a real question we all need to ask ourselves all the time. Because the enemy is constantly trying to get us to go his way and live the way the world lives. And God says, no, I'm doing something bigger. And you're invited. I want you to be a part of it. But you have to stop thinking the way the world thinks. And you have to open yourself up to this new life and this new way that I'm leading you into. And that's all I have for today. You know what I mean? God bless you. The Lord bless you.